Hey y'all, I'm Sammy, your host of the You Were Made For More podcast. John 10.10 is a promise that Jesus came down to earth so that we would have life and have it abundantly. My prayer is that this podcast and all of the content that we put out would remind every student that they were made for more simply because of who they were created to be. My own walk with the Lord and my relationships with the teenagers that I disciple have shown me that once we understand whose we are, the game changes. Or in other words, transformation happens. Our identity changes everything. We recognize that it takes investment and partnership between the church and parents to raise teens who know and believe who they are in Jesus. And we're here to help. So buckle up as we take this journey and take a look at what God has to say about friendships, relationships, sexuality, dating, and all the things in between. Hey guys, this is Sammy, your host of the You Were Made For More podcast, and I wanted to pop on and share with you guys a special feature this month featuring my friend Dave Wright, who serves as the coordinator of student ministries for the Anglican Diocese of the South Carolinas. Um, Also, you'll have to excuse my voice. My sinus infection is being very persistent and not going away. Um, so luckily this podcast is just Dave sharing about an initiative that he started within the Anglican Church known as Engage. And it's all about intergenerational ministry, which has kind of been our theme for this month of March. So I'm just going to dive in and let him tell you more about what it is. If you have any questions about anything he talks about, you can find it all in the show notes linked with this episode. Hi, Sammy. Thanks for the chance to do this podcast for Anglicans for Life. The topic of intergenerational ministry in the church has become very important to me over the years. I had the opportunity of contributing a chapter on it in the book Gospel-Centered Youth Ministry a few years back. I'm finding that more and more people are talking about this, not only in student ministry, but the church in general, and it's exciting. Not long ago, a friend of mine commented that the church is the last intergenerational institution in our society. I kind of stopped and thought about that for a second. The church is, a, is the last intergenerational institution in our society. As I look across the spectrum of churches that I serve and beyond that even, we're only beginning to scratch the surface of the very issue that we need to make a high priority of. So I want to speak into some of the questions that I think we all need to wrestle with. How can we as the church honor and create meaningful relationships between generations? Why is it valuable for a church to have intergenerational ministry? What have we learned from intergenerational relationships? And what practical steps can families or churches take who want to do this? Well, let me start by saying this. I believe we need to create a culture where we're intentional about relationships between generations. There are many decisions in the life of the church that need to be guided by a desire to be intergenerational by which I mean a church that values the meaningful interaction of generations. There are a few terms that people use when they talk about generations in church. 
One is multi-generational, which to me simply means that there's more than one generation that's there that's involved. Every church wants to be multi-generational, but the term itself doesn't mean that there's much interaction between those generations. I lean on the term intergenerational to mean, to mean interaction between generations. Some prefer to call this cross-generational. I don't find that term to be quite as clear to, to most people, so I stick with intergenerational. I didn't come to understand the significance of intergenerational relationships by studies or by instinct, but by the experiences that showed me things that for me would have been counterintuitive at the time. Now, you might, exactly, you might wonder what exactly do I mean by that? When I started in youth ministry, the general vibe coming from training events and books on youth ministry was that teens needed their own space, their own programs. It was, it was assumed that the best way to minister to teens was through very age-specific programs and teaching. It was assumed that students didn't want to be around the general adult population as that was perceived as boring, whereas youth stuff was cool and fun. We were encouraged to find young adults to help lead our ministries. I, brought, I bought into all of that, and in some ways I think there was at least, it was at least partially true, but I don't, I don't feel that way anymore. So what, what changed my mind? Perhaps the best way for me to explain it is to share what I like to refer to as the tale of two churches. It's a contrast between the first two churches I did youth ministry in, and I think it serves as a useful case study of the two ends of the spectrum when it comes to intergenerational ministry. The first church I worked for was very segregated in terms of age groups. On Sunday mornings, families came to church and kids went to Sunday school while parents went into the worship service. After church, they met up and headed home. The high school students I worked with knew very few adults in the church outside of their parents. The only other adults they had any relationship with were youth leaders who tended to be young adults. Nearly all programs and events in our church were segregated by age groups. Anytime there was any sort of program going on, we had something for the children, something for the teens, something for the, you know, etc. Now, how were they going to know what the gospel looked like in the various stages of life? I mean, this is something I never really gave any thought to in my first 10 years. How were they going to see what a, how a relationship with Jesus shapes marriage or parenting or grandparenting? In an age-segregated church, none of this is visible to most students. On top of that, despite thinking teens want their own space and programs, the result, what I discovered, of a very age-segregated church is that students feel alienated. They feel, you know, left out. Even though we think that that's what they want, they end up feeling like, gee, I'm, I have to go to my place. And it's, it's kind of a, it's a strange thing. Now, the second church I worked for was very different. It was well-integrated. Students were involved in all aspects of church life. The generations knew each other and had significant time to interact. It was not unusual to see old folks chatting with teens after church. The adults were praying for youth and children regularly. Families came to church together and worshiped together until the youngest children went out to uh, partway through to the service and went to Sunday school. Teens remained in the worship service. Church events were always intergenerational with just a little bit maybe at times of age-specific programming. Students growing up in that church saw how faith impacts all ages and stages of life. They knew old people well enough to see how faith plays out in marriage, family, middle age, old age, career decisions, tragedy, success, and failure. They heard stories of life during wartime, of life during hardships, of prosperity, and of, of retirement. 
Remember, when I started in youth ministry, I didn't think youth wanted intergenerational relationships, so I was fine with the segregation until I started to realize just how disconnected our youth were from the life of the congregation. Even then, I didn't grasp how much they were missing out until I was well immersed in that second church that I worked for. It was after really seeing the benefits of intergenerational relationships that I read the results of studies done by the Fuller Youth Institute. They looked at the trend of young people leaving the church either during or immediately after high school. This is from a few years back now. And, and I don't think at the time they really grasped why kids left, but they discovered one commonality of those who stayed. It was simply that they had meaningful relationships with people from different generations in their church. In fact, they found that if a student was relationally connected with five adults in their church that were not family members, they were most likely to remain active in the church beyond high school. So the conclusion was that students who only attended youth group are far, far more likely to leave the church than those who are connected to people in the congregation. It means that kids need to grow up in the church as part of the church and not get sidelined to children's and youth programs. In a way, you could not make a better case for integrating generations than making sure that they're going to stay connected to the church throughout their lifetime. However, uh, while I agree with that motive, I think there's a bigger issue that ought to motivate us. And I've already alluded to it. It's about people growing up in the church and seeing how everyone of every age needs to hear the gospel and learn how to live it. It's about kids growing up seeing the, how the gospel plays out in every age and stage of life. The truth, the gospel is the ultimate why of intergenerational relationships in the church. We can think about this in terms of understanding, observing, and continuing in the gospel. First, without intergenerational relationships, our students may develop a limited understanding of the gospel. The common reality of youth ministry is to address the issues facing students. In doing so, students can either get the sense that Christianity is primarily a set of morals or a self-help process of becoming a better person. This perception stems from the struggle that adolescents face in establishing their identity. When students also sit under biblical teaching delivered to all ages, they get a better sense of how the gospel shapes the whole of life. Second, our students may develop a view of how the gospel changes lives that is very limited to the stage of life that we call adolescence. They observe very little of how God is working in the lives of uh, people of all ages unless they're relationally integrated into the life of the congregation. Younger generations learn as much from what they observe as they do from what we actually tell them. We can easily construct a, a very teen-centric faith and create a challenge for students to relate to the rest of the church body. And the third, which follows the first two, is the, is the reality that they will struggle to be a part of the church in later years. When youth group is all they know of the Christian experience, the only place to turn after graduating is to another youth group-like experience. There are actually a lot of churches that have built on this outcome and, and created churches that look like youth ministries from recent decades. They even usually have names that are, you know, would have been youth, youth ministry youth group names from like the 80s and 90s. Yet those generally don't provide intergenerational relationships either, which is leaving the students to struggle with the first two consequences. We serve our students best when we integrate them into the life of the church, where they experience the church with all generations. If we look at scripture, we see clearly that God's intention for his people is very multi-generational. The segregation of generations in worship is not seen in scripture. Instead, we see multi-generational worship in places like Joshua 8 and Ezra 10. 
In Deuteronomy, we see instruction on celebrating the feasts, and they include all generations. In Nehemiah 8, we see a beautiful picture of the reading of God's word. Nehemiah tells us that men, women, and all who could understand were present. In the Gospels, we see Jesus prioritize children. In Mark chapter 10, for example, and he had a special heart for them. We see that in Matthew 18. He expressed a clear desire for children to follow him and obey him. And he gave strong warning to those who might lead them into sin. In Jesus' world, children were, were the only pre-adults. Adolescence, as we, as we know it, didn't exist then. Thus, we need to pay attention to how Jesus approached children in order to see his concern that they are taught and grasp the gospel. In the book of Acts, we see several specific instances of families coming together and being baptized together. The segregation of ages is just not evident in Scripture. In Acts chapter 20, uh, verses 7 to 12, we see a gathering of God's people in which Paul is preaching a rather lengthy sermon. A young male present, present by, the name of, uh, by the name of Eutychus, who was likely between the ages of 7 and 14, drifts off to sleep during the sermon and falls out of a window. While the account is there in Acts to show the miracle that was performed, he was brought back to life, we also see who is present for Paul's preaching. Then we see in Paul's letters uh, to the Colossians, uh, chapter 3 particularly, in Ephesians chapter 6, instances where children are instructed to obey their parents. As letters intended to be read to congregations, we see nothing to suggest that these were brought into the, the children were brought into the service to hear these words. Paul's words here are directed specifically to children. He's not speaking about them, but to them. The children were already in the service. <laughs> that's, the, that's the thing I think that we can easily miss in those, in those letters. What we also see is a common, uh, sorry, is a command to pass the faith from one generation to the next. Deuteronomy 6 and Psalm 78 are probably the most explicit in the Old Testament. We also see admonishment for older believers to guide and instruct the younger believers, Titus 2. So if the Bible has spoken so clearly on the multi-generational nature of the church, how did the church largely end up so age-segregated? Well, the short answer is that the church follows trends in our society. Pragmatism dictated our, me our methods rather than God's word. The church, which had been intergenerational, followed societal changes and became age-segregated. In order, really, I mean, to serve the best interests, what, what people thought were the best interests of kids. But it turns out that our best interest in kids is actually keeping them together. We are at an interesting crossroads in America and in the church specifically. This newest generation of teens are different than in many ways to previous generations. They struggle with depression and anxiety at rates never seen before. They're swimming in a post-Christian and post-truth culture that will mold and shape them to conform unless we get to them first. George Barna says that a person's worldview is largely shaped by the time they reach 13 years old. If we want young Christians in our churches, we need to be intentional about discipling children. Otherwise, they walk away. The, ch the church should be a place where intergenerational relationships are the norm. Today's youth need meaningful relationships with people of different generations. There are so many ways to pursue this through programs and events in the church and by teaching and preaching on it. The point is that churches need to be intentional to make this happen. The best way to do it is figure out what's going to work in your setting, in your church, um, in your community, in your part of the, part of the world. Uh, I'm sure there's resources out there that can be tapped into to make all this happen as well. 
One that I know of, and several churches near me are, are doing this, is called the Pray For Me campaign. The Pray For Me campaign is designed to get adults in the church praying for kids, and through that builds intergenerational relationships. And that's ultimately the goal of the Pray For Me campaign. It's not just getting adults to pray for kids. It's actually intergenerational relationships. Here's a couple of things that their, that their literature says. They're seeking to build a bridge to, to a thriving multi-generational church with the Pray For Me campaign. Um, it's a church-wide campaign that equips believers, uh, adult believers, to pray for children and for students. The generations are disconnected, people feel undervalued, and are far from unified. Most of our churches have silos divided by age group. This is just, I'm reading some of their, some of their literature here. Um, it goes on to say that disconnected from their church families, young people are finding it easy to abandon their faith as young adults. And that's, I mean, we're seeing that with, with youth groups currently uh, across America, where, where teenagers are just leaving um, and, and just deciding that uh, I don't think this Christianity stuff is for me anymore. But as young people experience God's goodness, and back to this literature here, uh, in connection with his people, they'll see Jesus more clearly. So the Pray For Me campaign actually has, um, has a, a kit, uh, starter guide, and some resources, including um, prayer guides that they've put together so that people know how to pray for um, pray for kids. When young people have the relationships they need, they can flourish in faith and life. Pray For Me uh, campaign, you can get more information about that at PrayForMeCampaign.com. That's PrayForMeCampaign.com. Um, and it's, it's one that I, I highly commend uh, to people. In our diocese, I've asked all of our churches to be praying regularly for younger generations. I think it's a great place to start, particularly when you think about how do we get our churches to be more intergenerational, uh, because it moves our hearts to the hearts of children and youth. In fact, uh, let me close with a prayer that I've compiled um, that I have suggested, I've distributed this to our churches to use in, in worship services. And the prayer is, um, the prayer is this. Lord, we pray that the truth that has been entrusted to us and the lessons we have learned will not be hidden from the next generation. Grant us every grace we need to make known to our children, even the children yet unborn, the path that leads to life. Make us a generation of parents, grandparents, and church members who will teach younger generations your ways and how to walk according to your truth so that they might set their hope and confidence in you and not forget your good works. May we be a generation who brings good news to each successive generation so that all may know your truth and the gospel of grace. Amen. Um, I have posted that uh, on a blog site that's called engagingeverygeneration.com. Um, and you are free to circulate that, pass that around as much as you want. Um, and I'm happy to, uh, to field questions about that kind of stuff. If any of your listeners uh, want to reach out, they can reach out through everygeneration.com or dwrite at adosc.org. Um, thank, uh, thank you again for this opportunity. And, um, and let's, let's pray that we have all of the church ministering to the whole of the church.